Well, good morning, everybody. We doing all right? It's 10-year celebration. Yes, indeed. Well, uh, nice to be. If I've not met you before, my name is JP. I'm part of the staff team here. And um, I also don't have great memories of the time, but these wonderful three people do because they were very much involved um, in the purchase um, of uh, this premises uh, back from when we were meeting in Notts County. So um, they were all part of uh, what we called the venue team. You're in charge of, of looking uh, for a, a facility for us. So uh, we've got Judy and Phil here. Phil led the venue team. Um, Andrew here, who, I, rumor has it, holds um, the record within, you're an architect, aren't you? You hold the record within your office for the quickest planning consent ever granted for this building. Is that right? That's correct. There we go. So a miraculous provision right from the off. But we'll take you right, right back to, um, to, to Notts County. We've been meeting there since 2003. And Judy, what, what was it like meeting at Notts County? Um, what was it like? It was actually quite, when we started there, very big because we'd taken this big decision to move to this enormous premises, which was Notts County. But it had a lot of downfalls. Um, sticky carpets, smelly places, having to spend a lot of time setting the room up initially and then unsetting the room at the end. So it was quite a big adventure that we had every Sunday. But it was good. And we moved in with about 30 people, weren't we? Grew to... We were very small. Into Notts County, yes. We were, we were, we'd come from a very small place. About 30 of us, but we were being um, encouraged to look into bigger places. And it was, I think it was at this time that Nick had the picture of the following God through the doors. Yes, yeah, so Phil, why don't you tell us a little, a little bit about it? So we were at Notts County, someone gave Nicola the church at the time a prophetic word. Tell us about it and, and kind of what happened after that. Nick was at a conference um, and a pastor from Leicester said, I said, to Nick, I think, Nick, God's saying that he, want, he, he wants you to follow him through the doors and, and, and maybe we're not keeping up with him as much as we should at the moment. So it was a challenge and it was a, it was a, a challenge in the best possible way for us to think bigger than what we were thinking at that moment, I think. Mm. So being in Notts County, we used to use some of the ancillary rooms there, like the, the bars that the players would have been in after the games and things. So the first job of the kids' workers in the morning was to, to get the kind of uh, beer-stained glasses from the day before and stick them all on the bar so that the kids didn't kind of get hold of them. So that, that's the sort of facility we were in. But then a, a venue team was, was formed, wasn't it, Andrew? So um, t tell us what, why was that formed and kind of the early buildings that um, that, that looked at. Uh, we, we looked at a number of buildings sort of right across the city, um, in some very, very derelict states. Uh, some were better than others. Some looked like they were real prospects. I think um, Norton Street, I don't know if some of you may remember that, we announced that um, at the Newark uh, camp uh, that we were gonna go for this. Um, we actually, I think we had a practice meeting uh, there where we actually tried out the acoustics and decided it didn't need the carpet. But it was looking really, really promising. Um, but God wasn't opening that door, it was too small. And I think, um, it wasn't until much later uh, when we saw this building that we realized why God hadn't given us Northern Street. Mm. Yeah, we, we looked at four or five buildings, didn't we, Andrew? I remember you and I driving around Nottingham on a Saturday afternoon looking at derelict buildings and thinking, yeah. is this going to work or not? Yeah. I think some of the buildings we were looking at we were like, well, this would be a great venue, but the cost of repair were, was phenomenal. Um, yeah. The... Um, the, uh, particularly the auction houses. We looked at it and thought that would be a fantastic venue, um, but, but we would never, could never see that we could raise the capital um, uh, as a small church to actually restore it. Um, and, and some of them were rejected for locations as well. It, you know, they're too far out, or you know, we'd, people would be traveling right across to the wrong side of the city. So this is like a two-year process, wasn't it, of trying, trying to fail to be whether the need to move out of Notts County somewhere more permanent was, was getting greater and greater as Notts County get kicking us out on Sundays and threatening to go into administration. And all, all the, We were praying for Notts County to survive at one point, weren't we? <laughs> um, then Monto Finance came in, make of that what you will. Um, but, um, but then, Phil, you got a call one, one day, didn't you? So we, um, after six months of this, we appointed some estate agents uh, to do the search for us. And in the autumn of 2009, uh, the lady who was doing this for us, a lady called Anne, called me and said, there's a property on Castle Boulevard that I'd like you to look at. So um, none, of the, none of the venue team were available at short notice other than Judy and I. So we came in here 
And we parked our car in the car park by the side of it, and we thought, why are we looking at an office block, which is what it looked like on the outside? The other thing is, why are we looking at a building that's got 13,500 square feet, where our remit was... We thought we were looking for something around the five to 10,000 square foot mark, and something probably to lease, because we probably couldn't afford to buy something anywhere near like this. Mm. So, Judy, when you, when you first came in here, what, what were your first impressions from little old Notts County to here? Oh, this is big, was my first thought. And as we walked around and sort of room after room after room after room, we thought, this is far too big for us. We've just, if we're going to do something here, we'd have to lease out at least two of the floors because it's just far too big. This room wasn't too dissimilar to what it is now. It's prettier now, but and some of the downstarts have gone, but, and the carpet was dreadful, but the size did strike us as being a good place to be. I've one other thing to say, which I forgot to say earlier. As an aside, up on the top floor, there was a room that was actually now a storage room, but most of the ceiling had gone and the pigeons were in full residence up there. It was also the smoking room. Oh, that was the most disgusting hole you could possibly... I thought that room would be sealed off and never ever be used. But somehow we've miraculously managed to revive it. You can it. see it on the tour later. There we go. So, so Andrew, um, there, there was a number of the ancient holders, didn't you? There's a number of other parties interested. Just give us a flavour of some of the, the inclinations we had about what, what it was that we were competing against. I think we, we were fairly sure that there was a supermarket, I think, looking to turn this into, into a sort of one-stop kind of shop. Um, there was a, uh, a housing association looking to put flats in it. Um, we, we, there was a healthcare provider, and I think we think that there may be another church is interested as well. Yeah. Something that I was sort of told later on um, uh, from another church leader when I was helping them with a the venue was that, that he knew this building quite well, and it sort of sort of rung a bell. But it was because it was a closed bid. We we didn't officially know who we were up against when we were bidding, but we did know that they had deeper pockets than we did, um, and uh, I think that was a big challenge to us because. Um, you, you know, we're a small church, you know, with, with, with 100 people or so. Um, we, were too, we, were, we were bigger then. Including, so, sorry, including children, including children yeah. 250. Turns out we've all slept since, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you, you, can't raise, you can't raise that money, humanly speaking, um, to, build, to buy a building that's this size. So, Phil, we put, we put together a, a kind of six-week project with it, didn't we? Why, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and then what happened to interrupt that? So we had a plan to envision the church with the building, really, including preaching about having a home, including doing tours of the building, including uh, try, trying to uh, encourage people to give to the building. And then in uh, sometime towards the end of October, I got a call from the agent saying, uh, you, th you know that you thought you'd be bidding in January. Well, actually, the vendors have decided that because there's so much interest, they're going to go to seal bids in the middle of November, which was three weeks away from that moment in time. So we had, a, we had, a, uh, we were, we had planned a meeting uh, in the, a room called the Meadows Club at Notts County Football Ground to talk about the venue, to talk about how we, how we should be giving to the venue, to, to give a vision for what this venue should look, look like. Um, I had a call that afternoon, because I was away in the south of England working, from the estate agent to tell me about the, this shortage. And I wasn't able to get hold of any of the other venue team to tell them that until about quarter to eight before the eight o'clock meeting. So we quickly had to change our tactic that evening and say, actually, we've got three weeks to get the finance together for this thing. Mm -hmm. And Judy, what do you remember about that meeting? We were in a very small, dark, hot room. <laughs> Again, beer spattered. Um, and it, came, it, it was an exciting meeting. There was a buzz about that particular meeting. I don't you know, God was obviously there, and God was telling us stuff. Although I'm not sure we knew at that point what God was telling us. You can do the chanting. 
Well, yeah, I mean, what Jesus is referring to is that at that meeting, you imagined suddenly things changed so quickly. We just felt we had to be very careful in how we talk about this because obviously we don't want this to be a pressurized thing. So um, Nick, who was leading the church at the time, I actually got everyone in the room chanting, we don't have to give a thing. I think it's the only time in Grace Church history we've ever done any chanting. And so, so we don't have to give a thing. We don't have to give a thing. Because if, if it was to happen, it had to be a miracle in, in the, the three-week time frame. But we, we needed a deposit of about 250000 but didn't want to kind of um, publicly declare that simply because everybody would, would do the maths in the midst of that. So the meeting happened. Then a student came up to Nick at the end of the meeting, didn't he? We knew that um, we we knew that the amount of money that we could raise on mortgage. We we knew what the building was valued at. We knew that we would have. We knew that we had a, a building fund. Some money's collected over the years already. We knew that we had to raise around about a quarter of a million pounds from the congregation of 250 people to be able to go forward with the bid. Um, uh, you can do the mathematics of what that meant, and a lot of those people were children and students, so um, but with respect to children and students in the room, they don't have a lot of cash to flash around. So the, the whole point was um, not to tell the congregation what, how much we needed to read, but just give it in faith. At the end of that meeting, a student came up to us and said, um, my father died and I've inherited 200,000 pounds. Can I loan that to the church? And even when I speak about that now, I'm overcome by the same amount of emotion that I was overcome with at that time. This was God. This was God's provision. And I knew that, that we, were, we were suddenly in the game of being able to buy this place. And, and then we, we had two Sundays before we had to take the offering, didn't we? The first one was the first time lots of people in the church heard about it. The second one, we had a guest preacher booked. Um, Andrew, do you, do you remember much about the Sunday with Greg Haslam? For God's sake, shoot, it was his sermon. Um, I understand he didn't know what the church were going through at the time. He didn't know that we were bidding on a building. Um, but he came, well, God sent him with a sermon that was prepared for us and... Uh, we might have shallow pockets, but God's got deep pockets. Yeah. And, and um, God's um, so obviously um, in that message to us, and we as a church received it, and our faith levels went from there up to mm. there. Mm. And, and I think we started to believe that we would actually win this bid. It wasn't just another of these buildings we were looking at. Suddenly this became a building that we, we actually could see was within our grasp, and, and we could see that if God wanted us to have it, we were going to have it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is a, just as something of the flavor of like in the midst of it, like the, the tears that are on, kind of being shown now match with the, the sense of excitement, slight panics, like what, what's God going to do in, in the midst of this? So the, the following weekend, we, we had the offering, didn't we? Phil, do you want to tell us about that and then a couple of days afterwards? So we had the offering. Um, Martin Jordan, who was on the trustees team, chairman of the trustees team at that time, was, was counting the money at the back of the room, uh, counting what pledges we were giving. And on that Sunday, we were pledged or given 263,000 pounds, I think it was, from the 250 people that were here. Mm. And we, we, you know, we, that was the last shot that we had at that, really. We could then go forward with confidence and make a bid to the vendors based on known sums of money that were there or known sums of money that our, that our faithful congregation had pledged to buy the mm. building. Mm. It was a remarkable moment. Mm. And, and then the, the venue team met the, the following night very much with, with Greg's sermon, For God's Sake, Shoot. It's all about when God gives you an opportunity, you've got to go after it with everything you've got um, firmly in mind. And um, so we, we, we went as, as high as we could uh, on the bid because that's what we felt God was, uh, was leading us to. And then uh, about a week or so later, Judy, you and Phil were at home, weren't you? And Phil got a call and you had a very excited husband, didn't you? What, a tell very, us about that. A, a dumbstruck husband, actually, which is quite unusual, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 actually, neither of us could believe it when he told me. Given what Andrew said, there were so many big players out there bidding for the same building, we knew that we'd only, probably only put... Um, a lower bid than some other people. I knew one of the supermarkets would have an awful lot more 
whatever the word is, power, as you like. But we had God. We had God's power. And somehow, we got this building. And we just stood there, I think we both cried, and looked at each other, and how did that happen? Mm. One, one of the interesting things that the, the um, agent fed back to us is that it wasn't just our bid and ability to satisfy and tick certain boxes that the, the vendor wanted, but the vendor was interested in the purpose for which the building would be used. And so when we talked last week about our, our vision to um, build a thriving community that reaches Nottingham with the gospel, replicates what we've got here in, in cities beyond, that, that, that is the reason God gave us this, this very building. And so we got that, didn't we? We got the, the, the change of use was granted. And so then the race began to get ready for our first meeting and our first wedding about a, a month afterwards as well. Graham and Beth Guy. Oh, Graham's here, actually. And uh, Andrew, why, why don't you tell us a, a little bit about that? What, what was that like, trying to kind of turn all that around? I can remember uh, standing outside this building. I think it was the day before it officially came ours. Um, and um, I was talking to a chap from the BBC who was trying to get inside to film the building. And, and asked permission to actually get in here to film it because it was 100 years since the job centre had been invented. So it must be about 110 years since the job centre's been invented this week. Um, but it's this big, empty, cold space. Um, we, 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 I think our first meeting here, uh, a prayer meeting, was on Thursday night, and we had, we had space heaters yeah. in here trying to, trying to heat, heat the building up because this place didn't have working boilers. Uh, at, at, at that point um, and there was an enormous task ahead of us to yeah we've got this building but now we've actually got to turn this building into something that we can use uh, and we can use for God and, and I think that was the big challenge for us at, at that time we realised that as a venue team it wasn't over we, we had another few phases of this before we could actually realize the full potential of this building. Mm. So we'd completed it, this is February 2010, first meeting here happened April 2010, there's a picture of, uh, of us all stood outside, um, after the, uh, that's not outside, but um, that was, there you go, there we all are uh, the, for the first meeting. And um, there's obviously just a, a, a few memories that have been displayed here, but um, the great thing about being church family together is lots of memories uh, amongst us uh, as, as a room today. And, um, and so we did a little video called What Do You Remember? And here's some more thoughts. Isn't it amazing? We have a God who loves to stack the odds against himself and then come through to show his power, hey? Let's give our panel a round of applause and we'll hand over to them. Yeah, great. Wasn't that amazing? Wasn't it incredible to see inspiring story after inspiring story with the juxtaposition of some of the most awful photos of like turned over furniture and sort of mess in the background, pigeon droppings. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, JP and the panel, they highlighted the, um, the amazing miracle that this building was. Uh, how we got in this building. But my question is, why did God actually want us here in the first place? Well, part of the reason is because of this city centre location, we have uh, incredible connections with some of the stakeholders in the city. So uh, people like the Citizens Advice Bureau, the Job Centre, um, the Probation Service, Youth Offending Team, they're all around us. And so we've made connections with them. And it's meant that our food bank and the different uh, support services that we offer here are really well known and they really serve and they bless the city that we so love as a church. And it's also meant that there's been a number of organizations, there's some great companies who are based all around us, and they've been generous, not only with their, um, with their giving to the food bank and giving physical food, but also we've had uh, em employees come in from places like Riley Wealth Services, uh, UPS Nextdoor. They've given their time to paint the building, to help at the 12 o'clock service, and they've really partnered with us in this. And what this location means is that we are able, 
as a church to be united in giving and sharing good news with the city for the city so that means that we are bringing good news with our words but also with our actions also with what we do and particularly in the area of social justice so i have got a couple of uh, stats just to run through with you um just that highlight what um what areas we've specifically given into over the last 10 years feel free again once again to give rapturous round of applause whooping cheering as you hear of people's generosity so our social hub our food bank um, started in earnest eight years ago so it started in 2012 and since then in order to meet the massive needs um, that this city um, has, we give out on average 820 food parcels per year, and that means we've helped well over 10,000 people uh, because many of those food parcels are for couples and families. Um, but that isn't the end of the story. So alongside the food parcels, we also um, provide a place where there's genuine community and care and people walk in here and they are welcomed and loved and looked after and so we have a social justice team who serve in incredible ways and that team is there's a requirement for there to be 10 people on that team each giving three and a half hours per session and um, that team then has resulted in the number of hours these volunteers have given as 25,200 hours. People here from this church have given 25,200 hours just in social justice over the last 10 years. It's amazing. And, and to try and get your heads around that, um, I like to do that with the power of food. And that we estimate we have made 35,000 toasties. 35,000 toasties have been made. Uh, Judy said it was mainly her who'd made the toasties at the 9 o'clock. Um, if anyone's got a separate bid, if someone reckons they made more, then come to me afterwards. Um, what an incredible statistic. Um, we also run a baby basics centre where we provide the essentials for any mother who's, uh, who, who's in need, essentially, and um, who needs some support uh, to buy some bits for their, their children, their baby. And that's been running four years. And in those four years, we've given out 570 baby basics parcels. That includes over 17,000 nappies. 17,000. And as a result of the community that has been formed at Social Hub, as a result of people coming in here and being loved by people they don't know, the volunteer team, we had a number of people wanting to get plugged in and know more. And so we started the 12 o'clock service just under four years ago. That's opened, we've opened our doors in that way 192 times. So this is a service that runs in a week. There's worship uh, like we will have later on this morning. There's a short gospel message and there's food involved as well. And in that time, over a thousand different people have come through the doors. We've served 10,000 meals um, here and um, we've had 15 people baptized on a Wednesday often representing some of the most challenging, some of the most difficult backgrounds you'd ever likely to encounter. And we've got a few more baptisms happening later on in March as a result of the 12 o'clock service. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. But as, as well as the heart for social justice that is so embedded in this church, we also want to love the city in other ways and love each other in different ways. So uh, we have a thriving kids' work here. Uh, there has been over 4,000 hours of kids' work since we moved into this building, representing or loving and looking after 600 kids, and there's been 200 people serving. And Emily mentioned um, earlier on, our, our oldest child, Noah, has um, essentially mapped. He came around at about the same time as this building, uh, it makes me feel quite emotional, just the amount of love and care and attention and energy um, the kids' workers, the volunteers have inputted into him. And there'll be hundreds of other kids whose parents can say exactly the same thing because uh, the, the kids' work here is fantastic. There has been... 125 babies born in the last 10 years. Yeah, some of you have been busy. <laughs> 125. We have worked with around... <laughs> not in the building. Did that need... 
Did that need clarification? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we haven't had a single one born in a building. Long may that continue. Um, we've, we've worked with 100 uh, youth, around 100 youth, and there's been 55 people who have served in this team. Again, thank you if, that, if you're one of them. In relation to Sundays, we have had here 1,108 meetings since being in a building. Who's been to all of them? No, but... It's across, it's across the morning. Some of you have been to more than others. It's great. That works out at approximately 27.2 days of worship. That's 39,200 minutes if you can't do the maths. Um, and in terms of preaching, we've had to- in total 33,240 minutes. Now, some preachers have used up a disproportionately large <laughs> amount of that time. Um, more than others. Some people it's felt like you've used that more at that time than others. There we go. You can be the judge. Um, We've had 23 weddings here, of which Beth Beth and uh, Graham of Beth and Graham um, were the first. Um, We've had 52 baptisms since September 2017. So just in the last few years. We weren't very good at keeping the numbers beforehand, but it's comfortably over 100 since moving in. We run 10 Alpha courses, um, which is well over 100 sessions of Alpha. Um, There are lots of different courses that we run here to try and love and serve people both in this congregation and other congregations in the city. And um, one of them is uh, Recovery from Separation and Divorce, which has just been a course that we've run quietly in the background over the last few years. There has been 128 delegates on that particular course, just as a case in point. Over 10 courses run. We planted two churches, um, and of those two churches, they look after, they care for well over 200 people as part of our family of churches, Grace Connection, and we've got one more on the way. This is us as a church. This is Grace Church. This is who we are, and just want to acknowledge the reality that we could not have done any of this without people's generosity, week in, week out, both in terms of your time, the effort, the way that you have loved and looked after people week after week, and literally the millions of pounds that have been given over the course of the 10 years. So can you give yourselves a massive round of applause? And finally, one of our most ambitious steps of faith as a church has been the start of Grace Enterprises, um, this, is, uh, this has come about because of Matt Parfit's vision and dedication to provide an organization that really does uh, love people by uh, maybe people who've got multiple barriers into work, and it loves and supports them by providing a safe environment where they are mentored and cared for, and there's a rhythm and routine to their life. And there's been story after story of uh, God transforming people's lives and God working through the practical outworkings of a job to transform lives. But one particular story, a guy called Bill, um, highlights kind of the relationship between um, the, the practical and the spiritual. Bill came to Grace Church a number of years ago because he was in desperate need. He, he uh, wanted a, to get a food parcel, so he came in through the front door And then he was impacted by the welcome that he received here, so much so that he wanted to start volunteering. So he started volunteering in our food bank. He then uh, started to come along to the 12 o'clock service, and it's through that he came to faith, and uh, God broke into his life, and he got baptized. Then we started this organization, this company rather, Grace Enterprises and particularly Radiant Cleaners. And uh, Bill got his first job, age 51, his first ever job, as, uh, and, and had the rhythm and the structure that he needed. And now he's moved on. He's, he's thrived and he's moved on to another city. But the wonderful thing is that as a result of his life transformed, his son Marcus who grew up in an in a environment where there was generational worklessness, saw the change and the transformation in Bill's life, and 
then started to come along to Grace Church and uh, came to faith himself and now works for Radiant Cleaners. So his life was truly transformed and, and the generational worklessness um, a challenge that, that so many people face was broken in this particular instance. Time and time again, we hear comments from people saying things like, Grace Church changed my life as they encounter this beautiful community with Jesus at the center. We've seen stories that we've heard stories or we've seen physical healings. We've seen people break free of addiction. And as we open our arms to anyone who um, is suffering in the city, who uh, needs community, who needs love, who needs care, we see so often God move and break into people's lives. So this is what church looks like. This is what this family, this community looks like. We are to be a people who love people with our words and our deeds. And we do it because through us, Jesus is building a thriving community that reaches Nottingham with the gospel and then replicates across the UK. He's transformed our lives. He's transformed my life. He's transformed so many of your lives. And he's empowering us through this building to do the same. Amen? Amen. Amen. Right, moving on to our next um, video. We've got a really uh, lovely video from our dear friends at Trent Vineyard. Isn't that wonderful? There's some great churches in Nottingham. We so value the unity that there is and relationship that there is amongst them. Um, ben mentioned that we've got a couple of church plants. Um, as well as that, we've got connections and relationship with a couple of churches out in Malawi. You may have heard us talk about them before. We've had numerous people go out and visit them, strengthening relationship. And we've also had Pastor Scriven come over, spend some time here. And it's been wonderful to see that relationship grow and develop, was learn from one another and grow together. Yeah, and at the moment we've got a wonderful couple, Ben and Becca Allen, who have given a year to go out to Malawi. They're currently halfway through that. And the plan is for uh, our relationship with the churches in Malawi to be strengthened through them. And they're also learning an absolute ton about what it means to be church together as they're out there. And Lindsay is currently out there supporting Ben and Becca and also connecting with Scriven and Annie. And we've got uh, another little video from them straight out of Malawi, so let's play that. It's great to see those guys, isn't it? Now, we thought it would be wonderful to um, have a couple of guests come and celebrate with us. So we've got um, a couple of them coming up now. And the first of those is David Sherman, who's been such a wonderful encourager and friend of Grace Church over the years. And it's so great to have you with us this morning. Yeah, let's give him a round of applause. David is, is one of my favorite people to have lunch with. Um, not because he pays, because normally it's me, but, the, <laughs> but I genuinely find this man such an encouragement, such a blessing, and he has been to us as a church and to me personally. And um, I always come away from those uh, chats strengthened and, um, and just a little bit more wisdom in me. So thank you so much, David. Over to you. Pleasure. Morning, everyone. Thirty-nine thousand two hundred minutes of preaching was it? And some people have been very long. Okay. Two or three reflections from me. One, it's a pleasure to be here, real pleasure to be here, enjoying this celebration, and uh, and, and honoured to be asked to say a word or two. I'd like to talk about the Charity Commission. A quotation from somebody I can't put the name to from a long time ago. Take me to your country and show me your buildings and I'll tell you what God you worship. And then a word from Jesus, which might be the best part of it all. <clears throat> the Charity Commission, I wouldn't recommend you go on their website. It won't do you a lot of good. Not in my understanding anyway, having tried to find out something in order to speak with sense about it this morning. <clears throat> a number of years ago, for everybody's involved in charities, they decided that the general idea of public benefit needed to be more specifically stated so that churches don't have to just be churches. They have to prove in their annual report that they have provided, in line with their purposes, 
public benefit. Now, all the years that I was chairman of a, of a trust of a, a church in the city, I, I opposed this idea vehemently and said the very fact that if we are churches being what church is supposed to be about, by definition, we provide public benefit. Yes? How many of you know if there's a light on in the darkness, you've provided public benefit? Yes? If people are offered love and joy and peace and hope in a dark and broken world, that's a public benefit. Yeah? We've heard lots of things this morning that justify this public benefit. And we're not trying to be ugly with the Charity Commission. But if church really is church, it provides public benefit in a multitude of ways. I think the last time I was in a public meeting in the church here, some little while ago, you were, as part of the service, someone was going away, a lady, I can't just remember her name, who'd been in prison and, uh, and then came here and was shown love in her brokenness. And then she worked for the Radiant Cleaners, is that right? And then she had been promoted to a job in London and going to work for another great charity. Wow, that's called public benefit, isn't it? Young people receive life training, children have been loved and cared for. We've seen all the numbers. And many adults in the room given and before given a, a purpose for life. Meals for the hungry, friendship for the lonely. Lifting up the hands of the weary, a lifeline for the desperate and work for the unemployed. So that'll, that, that'll work, that'll be enough with a few numbers in next year's report, that will please the Charity Commission. That's them sorted out. We can legally carry on. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Show me your country, your buildings, I'll tell you what God you serve. So what would that look like in, in a modern Britain? Modern Britain, the biggest buildings in modern Britain are <clears throat> places of uh, sporting excellence, venues that are to do with consumerism, shopping malls and all sorts of things like that. And in the most recent times, uh, a subset of a consumer society is all over the country, massive, massive sheds that are the distribution hubs for all manner of stuff. So, but what does that mean? What God are we worshipping? <laughs> it's not the Lord God Almighty in the, the context of that. So buildings are important. They say something. I, I'm, I'm amazed. I've, I've been amazed ever since you had this building that uh, you did so well to get it, and what you had to pay for it was actually next to nothing for where you are in the center of the city and the floor space and the, what it would cost to reproduce. It was just an amazing miracle of God's provision that you were given this building, yes? And buildings are important. Now, the church isn't buildings, and sometimes the church gets trapped in buildings, and rather than the buildings serving us, we serve the buildings, but thanks be to God, that's not what you're on about. The building is serving the purpose of God through you. But buildings do make a statement. It says we're not going away. It says we're here and we're open for business and we're open for business for you, for anyone who wants to come in. I'm fascinated. I couldn't quite remember, so I walked outside and had another look. The sign over the building says it's the Ministry of Labor. An employment exchange. And then lower down in smaller case over the door, it talks about Grace Church. And after 10 years, I'm, I've got a gentle suggestion. I know you're not a, a, a bumptious crowd and you're not bolsters and all that. I, I go along with all that. But the Ministry of Labor and the employment exchange is in stone. We can't do much about it and we wouldn't want to either. But maybe Grace Church should be rather larger case for the future than it is. Yes? We want people to know it isn't what it was. It is what it is. It's Grace Church. But actually, it's still the Ministry of Labor. Some of you have heard me speak before. We're all full-time Christians. Where you work is, is a subset of being a full-time Christian. We're all employed by the Lord Jesus to fulfill his purposes. Yes? 
So this is still a ministry of labor, and it's still an employment exchange. It still needs, and the understanding of how this church works and succeeds is because people come and volunteer and serve the Lord, and then those who feel a special call and have an anointing from, from God then serve the wider purpose of the community. We're still giving people work, and we're still giving people help and advice, like they did in those days. But the building has changed. It was well built. It was part of the government estate, so they, they build solid buildings. It won't fall down in a hurry. I was amazed the first time I ever came in that a, that a labor office had a room as big as this. It was an amazing, but maybe that was planned for you from a long time ago. So it's a well-built building, but it no longer is part of uh, the government's estate. It's, it's part of the kingdom of God. The building belongs to the kingdom of God. Is that right? And we are happy custodians of the purpose of God in that. When I came to this city in 1965, <clears throat> there wouldn't be in the evangelical constituency, whether reformed, charismatic, or whatever, there wouldn't be 500 people in the center area of the city worshiping on any given Sunday. Uh, most of the churches that were alive were comparatively small. Peter Lewis came in the city around about the same time that I did and uh, into a very small Baptist church down in Heisen Green before they have moved on into the city. You'll hear from someone from there in a moment. <clears throat> At the time we finished a generation later, Peter retired and I did whatever I did, there were around about 5,000 people meeting in the city in the various alive evangelical churches for which we praise the Lord, yes? It's an improvement. But the challenge as we celebrate 10 years and the other churches continue with what they're doing is how do we turn 500 that's become 5,000 into 5,000 that becomes 50,000, yes? And have an expectation from God that what he did in the last generation, he will do again in the next generation. Which brings me in a final moment to the words of Jesus, which you probably expect me to say are from Matthew 16, verse 18. He promised, and okay, Peter was the recipient of this message, but it wasn't specifically to him, although the church is built with a cooperation of those human beings who surrender to the purpose of God. Let's not take anything away that we need gifted leadership in the life of the church. Things don't just happen without leadership. So Peter had his part. But the words of Jesus were based, but on this rock, the, the rock was not him as Peter. The rock was, in my understanding, the greater revelation of what he said. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is on the revelation that Christ is the foundation of the church that he founded. Jesus then says, and I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, 10 years are over. We shout and we whoop and we do whatever we need to do. We thank God for where we are. But we rest with a confidence that if God is for us, who can be against us? Yes? That what God has done in the past, He will do in the future because He doesn't change. So we celebrate the blessings of yesterday we enjoy the present moment of the favor of God and a moment to celebrate. And we believe and know that because of his promise that he would build his church and nothing would stop him, the future will have much more to celebrate. Anybody believe that? Much more to celebrate. And the employment exchange that's on the wall outside means for that much more that some people sitting in the room today need to hear the call of the Spirit. That however you're employed at the moment, you make sure that you're a light in the darkness and love in the brokenness of a tired world. And maybe some of us need to hear a deeper call. Because maybe in the next 10 years, there's some other churches to plant. And the present leadership, as you send great people away, needs to believe that as we sow great people to serve God in other places, God will raise up others to serve him in their place here. So 
there will be an employment exchange required on the part of some people who hear the voice of the Lord so that what happens in the future will have more to celebrate than we've had in the past. A prayer. I read this prayer a long time ago at Lawned Abbey, and I pray it very often. I pray for you as individuals, pray for you as families, and I pray for this house of prayer, the living stones in it and the use of the building within it. This is the little prayer, Father. Here may the faithful find salvation and the careless be awakened. Here may the doubting find faith and the anxious be encouraged. And here may the tempted find help and the sorrowful comfort. And here may the weary find rest and the strong be renewed. Here may the aged find consolation and the young be inspired. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Just, just a little word on uh, Amanda and Cornerstone in general. When we first moved into this building, uh, Cornerstone and Trent Vineyard together, out of their own building fund, gave us £20,000. And I just think that is one of the most incredible demonstrations of a kingdom heart. And uh, it's a joy to partner with you and um, to cheer you guys on from the other, other side of the street. And um, yeah, we, we love and appreciate you guys a lot. So welcome. Thank you, thank you. It is a joy, isn't it? It is a joy to partner. There's something like spiritually encouraging when, ch I mean, churches should work together and churches should love one another, but somehow it doesn't always happen. And when it does happen, it's a really precious thing. So the first thing I want to say is obviously greetings and happy birthday from Cornerstone Church. Um, it's our second week of going to two morning services ourselves, so they're busy um, in the middle of their 11.15 now, which we're just getting used to. So we're following in your footsteps of having two morning services. We're, we're copying. So um, one of the other things I want to say is, I don't think I have ever been thanked so many times and so warmly and so from the heart by any group of people than I have by some of your leaders at Grace Church. And I think that's good for you to know that. They are incredibly grateful, warm people, and they are great qualities to have as a church. So I just want to encourage you with that. Uh, I suppose recently, I mean, I don't get to come to your services on Sunday morning, obviously, because I'm, I'm on the leadership team of Cornerstone. But I managed to sneak in um, to a couple of things recently, which I've really enjoyed, and that's what I want to talk about. So Cornerstone, in a really tiny way, has been supporting the food bank since you started it, and it is in a tiny way. And then recently, uh, we had an opportunity to get a little bit more involved in a little bit more meaty way. Uh, I spoke to Lindsay, and we helped with the, uh, the midweek service Christmas party in terms of giving gifts. It actually was a very easy thing for us to do at Cornerstone. Um, but the thanks that we received has been quite overwhelming. One thing I would say is it was great to come along. If any of you that attend Grace Church ever have the opportunity on a Wednesday to come and visit the midweek service, you have a day off or, or you're free or whatever, just come and see what some of your guys here are doing. It is a really... Well, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to see what is going on so that the midweek service has grown out of relationship with people that use the, the food bank, the social hub. And you really are serving and blessing the city in that ministry. So I enjoyed come along, coming along to midweek service. And then I came along to the midweek service Christmas party, which was a joy on another level. So if you can ever gate crash that, maybe next Christmas, I would say do. The food was phenomenal. But again, the thanks that Cornerstone received. And I think via me, and I think what that said to me, you, your leadership are, are, are thankful, you know, polite, lovely people. <laughs> but I think what they were really saying thank you to was that partnership that David's referred to, partnership in the gospel. The gifts we provided were, were easy, and we would love to do that again. That was e the easy bit. But I think what your leaders were recognizing is the joy of partnering in the gospel. 
And, and we feel the same way. And let's, you know, hope and pray we have more opportunity to do that. You know, Nottingham is extra, extraordinarily blessed, extraordinarily blessed with good gospel-centered churches. Uh, it really is unlike probably most of the cities outside London for that. And we have the same mission, don't we? We have the same mission to make disciples for Jesus, to show people Jesus, to help them grow in their love for Jesus, that they themselves might overflow and introduce other people to Jesus. We all have the same mission if we're a gospel-centered church. But the Lord seems to have laid kind of different practical ministries on our hearts. And it's really good that we're all kind of part of a jigsaw serving the city because it's God that's in charge and it's him that's orchestrating it all. And I think we, um, we at Cornerstone recognize that God is using you, our Christian brothers and sisters, down this end of Castle Boulevard, um, to reach part of the city that we're not reaching. And so, and you're doing it really well, and you're doing it for God's glory. And we really want to affirm that. In Philippians 4, verse 8, we read, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I think this ministry, this midweek service that has grown on the back of your food bank is truly praiseworthy. And it's our privilege at Cornerstone to be able to support it in some small way. I just want to end by affirming our friendship and celebrating our friendship. You know, we have different personalities as churches. Cornerstone is not grace. Neither of them are heart, neither of them are vineyard, and neither of them are in a, a number of other churches. We have different personalities. We attract different kinds of people. Some people flip between them until they decide where they best fit, and that's fine. It's not unusual for us to, after a couple of weeks of someone coming to Cornerstone, we say, you know what, we think you might be better at grace, and we send them with our blessing. Uh, we have different personalities, but the family um, affection shared between us is great to experience, but more importantly, it glorifies our Father, who is the one building his worldwide church, of which we are both a tiny part. So can I end with a blessing from Scripture? So a very famous prayer that you'll have heard hundreds of times, and I want to I want to read this prayer as a prayer, for, as a prayer for you corporately as a church. It's from Ephesians chapter 3, um, verse 16. So this is, um, this is my prayer. Maybe you could say a prayer from Cornerstone for you at Grace Church. We pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And we pray that you, here at Grace, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you, here at Grace, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.